I'm your host, Kashif Khan. Uh, we often talk to practitioners who have gone through this journey of my problem was what led me to this practice of I saw people's auto, autoimmune issues, their anti-aging, etc. Not often do we talk to someone who didn't go down the practitioner route because they just finished selling a $300 million company. So their priorities are a little bit different and they have the ability to focus on themselves. And this is a really interesting conversation I think we can have where you, Bruce Bowser, former CEO of AMJ Campbell, first of all, thanks for coming. My pleasure. You went through a really cool journey where as you were building this awesome business, which is, you know, in Canada, everyone's heard, everybody knows, you were also working on yourself and exploring healthcare. You were deep into the wellness industry, kind of quietly under the radar. People didn't know there were certain things you were working with and supporting. And this is why, you know, if you don't mind me mentioning your age, you know. Yeah, sure, go ahead. 62 <laughs> years old, sexy as hell, right? <laughs> How did this happen? It, because you took your passion of, you know, you took business, health, put it all together and started working on these projects. But it's really cool to be able to talk to someone who's not a practitioner, not a functional medicine doctor, not a nurse, but worked on themselves as a true biohacker, you can call it, sure. and looks and feels the way you do at your age. So thank you for coming. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, look at I mean, I think the, you know, the quick answer to your question is, uh, I was a curious kid and right. you know that curiosity spilled out into uh, you know all areas of my life I mean I, I played hockey you know as a young man and you know loved hockey and I was always curious about you know what could I do to to get a better edge I was a goalie right so you know I was always you know in goalie schools and training and you know looking for you know ways to to get that edge and then when I got into business started my career in business it was the same thing you know I was like I, I prolifically would read books on you know how to be better in business and and it just seemed that there was, you know, this whole, you know, I'm going back, you know, 40 plus years, there was this whole notion of, you know, tying uh, wellness, fitness, uh, health, and high performance in all areas of your life together. And so, you know, at a, at a young age, I, I began studying that. And, you know, the, the more that, um, you know, medicine, health and wellness evolved, over, especially over the last 25 years, the more I was able to, you know, to get curious about that and just found myself in, you know, fields where they were kind of cutting edge. So, you know, there wasn't, you know, 25 years ago, there were not a lot of, of um, I, I don't like using the term age management because, right. because I'm, you yeah. know, I'm not about aging my, but not, not about managing my age. I'm about living the best possible life I can for as long as I can and doing anything I can to sort of, you know, hack into that. So, you know, over the last 25 years, just, you know, technology improvements in healthcare have opened up the doors to, you know, things that you and I wouldn't have had, wouldn't have imagined right. and still wouldn't imagine. I mean, you know, I'm reading a book right now. I think you and I talked earlier that, that I shared with you, you know, where it talks about the speed at which um, healthcare and innovation in healthcare and high performance is, is sort of evolving is mind blowing. And, you know, for a lot of, people that grew up in, you know, traditional healthcare, it's hard to believe because, you know, so much is based on, you know, research and how long it's been out there. Whereas now, you know, things are, well, we've just seen it, you know, going through the, the pandemic and the evolution of, of vaccines. I mean, you know, they've happened at, at rapid pace. Mm -hmm. So technology's allowed for that. And your work that you've done, it's, it was a passion, but it, it led to actual 
outcomes. We knew there was a huge clinic that was open. I believe you, you worked and supported a particular doctor, and you said that this needs to happen. So you know what? Put money where my mouth is, and I'm going to make it go. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, I think I got involved with a group of doctors a number of years ago in, in opening up, you know, one of, you know, I'm going to say Toronto, Canada's first sort of um, high-performance health clinics that were, you know, it was geared at pulling all these pillars together, right? You know, the uh, you know, high performance, wellness, your, you know, your physical health, and then integrating, you know, things like, um, you know, body work, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was chiro, massage, physio, um, you know, integrating things like naturopathic, you know, healthcare. And so, I mean, pulling all of those together, um, you know, was a fun thing to do. Doctors, as you know, from working with them, you know, are not always the best business people. So right. I was kind of the, you know, the business mind to say, hey guys, you know, we don't need a, you know, a $40,000 instrument yeah. right now to do this stuff let's you know let's make it let's run it like a business would run so um you know and, and people say you know bruce why why would you get involved in that as a business you know, partially just purely selfish it was like um you know if, yeah you wanted your playground yeah uh, if there was a if there was a, a way that i could get access to you know cutting edge high performance type healthcare and biohacks and i mean you know i was i was all game for it and still am so we work with uh, Dave Asprey, you know, he's an yeah. investor in the company, he's an advisor, and uh, people say that he's sort of the founder of the biohacking movement. But you were doing this before the word biohacking even existed. Yeah, we didn't we didn't know the word biohacking. I'm not sure Dave did either. I, I followed yeah. Dave for a long time. I think it was, you know, it's not, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know so much biohacking as it is, uh, you know, feeding your curiosity around what are things you can do to shortcut. I mean. You know, Tim Ferriss, I've been a fan of Tim since, you know, since he started. And, you know, Tim was, I think, one of the first hackers in general. Look at, mm-hmm. you know, ways, how could he learn how to play guitar in 10 days? How could he right. learn how to do this? And, you know, so if you can, if you can find ways, you know, to shortcut things, not, um, you know, not for the sake of, of shortcutting, but for the sake of getting that knowledge, you know, quicker. I, I'm, I'm not a physician, you know, never really had a high desire to be one. But it's an area that I have a keen interest in, you know, medical, the medical field, the healthcare world, as it relates to, uh, you know, living the best life you can live and being, you know, high performance. And, you know, I, I can remember back in the days, you know, 15, 20 years ago, where, you know, I would sit on boards, you know, governance boards for, you know, sizable companies, and we'd be talking about governance issues around, you know, senior management and, you know, what's right. in. And I can remember thinking, well, you know, why don't we talk about their health yeah. and their wellness? Because, you know, there's so much science-based um, research out there that shows, you know, if you're fit and you're healthy and you're, you know, you're eating well and you're, you know, you're taking care of your mind, uh, you know, whether it's mindfulness, meditation, that you're going to be a, a more productive and a better performing executive. And, you know, obviously some of that got poo-pooed at the time, whereas today you're seeing it in, in athletics. Yeah, yeah, right? I mean, just, you know, all areas of athletics, and especially when it comes to things like sleep. You know, all of the professional sports teams are investing huge money into, you know, making sure that their, you know, their athletes who are traveling right. all sorts of time zones are getting, you know, proper sleep management. So, um, just curiosity, I think, is, you so know, is what's fed that. The boards poo-pooed. You were doing it at a time where it was unheard of, meaning that that's not what business was about. That's not how you support. So you, however, in your own business, said that I don't care what's going on over here. I'm going to change. Before the pandemic pandemic even hit, people didn't know what Zoom was. Yeah, and you shifted the entire company virtual. Right, was like I think a little over four years ago. So I mean, I, it's almost a little embarrassing talking about it some days now because 
because it feels like you're saying, you know, I was ahead of the, I was ahead of the curve. Well, you were. Yeah, but it was, it was ironic. It was just, you know, we, you know, we were at a point where, um, you know, I, I'm the father of two daughters and now two granddaughters. And so, you know, my, most of my life I had three sisters has been about women. And so, right. you know, from an early stage in my career, I was about, um, you know, looking at ways that I could make gender parity, you know, more prevalent in my workplace. You know, I, I boards I would sit on, I would make sure that, you know, there was, there were women on the boards. And so, you know, one of the areas that over the last five or six years that has been, um, you know, sort of front and center is having a, a friendly workplace for women. And so, most of my head office over the last 10 years uh, was females and myself. Right. And, and, you know, for all sorts of reasons, that worked really well. I just, you know, we don't need to get into that today, but I just find, you know, women can be easier to work with than, than senior men. And so um, our, our lease was coming up for renewal, you know, four or five years ago at our head office. And I remember thinking now would be a good time to look at uh, taking the business virtual, like, you know, just, you know, finding a way to, to have people work in a hybrid way, you know, and, and we weren't using the term hybrid, but, you know, in a way where we would still get together on a regular basis to collaborate. And, and you know, we found cool places to do that, you know, whether it was at boardrooms that I would rent or at restaurants or events. And we, you know, we still had a small space where people could get together. But, I mean, you know, it, it had a huge impact on, you know, productivity and, um, you know, the, the joy level of working for the mm-hmm. company, you know, people could do at home. And, and so, you know, today I get asked, uh, you know, what was, you know, what was the sort of the genesis behind that? And it really was about, you know, making the workplace more friendly for, you know, especially for the female members of our team, but also, you know, I wasn't cutting edge there, you know, companies like Google have been doing this, you know, a lot of the new startups, mm-hmm. um, you know, they were doing it, I don't want to say by fluke, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't out there. Mm-hmm. And I think they were finding that, you know, you, did, you didn't need to have somebody in an office cubicle from nine to five to have them perform at a high level. As a matter of fact, you know, I would argue that people can, can perform much better when they're, you know, they're not uh, in an environment where somebody's standing over them or, you know, monitoring them all the time. And so, you know, for me, COVID, um, you know, has, because I, I took a lot of grief over that. You mm-hmm. know, people saying like, yeah, you sure? Like you're in the transportation business. And, and, you know, COVID, I think, has opened eyes for, you know, all sorts of businesses to see, you know, one, out of necessity, can we run our business remotely, which they've been able to do. And now as we're coming, you know, I don't know if we're coming out of COVID, now as we're almost two years into COVID, a lot of companies are looking at ways to develop a hybrid model going forward. And, and you know, I think part of that comes from um, young people today, right? So whether the millennials or Gen X, uh, looking at their work life and saying, uh, you know, my parents didn't have any work-life balance. Right. I don't want that. And quite frankly, I, you know, I agree with them. I, like, I don't think that, you know, my parents had work-life balance. And, and quite frankly, in my early career, I don't think I had work-life balance. And had it not been for this interest in, you know, sort of um, health and wellness, I probably wouldn't have developed that. But, but they get a choice now. And so, you know, I think what you're seeing is a lot of uh, young people resigning there's this whole resignation movement yeah, that's going on where they're saying you know there's more to life than um, you know being stuck yeah. in a cubicle from nine to five and and quite frankly there's not a lot of science behind it you know the eight-hour workday um, you know goes back to the industrial revolution and you know we haven't it's one of the few things we haven't tweaked yeah. in history is you know looking at the work uh, the workday and i think you know like a five-hour workday a four-hour workday you know hybrid models is the way of the future 
and you know sadly it took a pandemic to get us to open our eyes to it but i really think you know it's going to be a, a healthier lifestyle i mean look there's nothing healthy about the average uh, gta employee spending three hours a day commuting like, yeah, it's yeah. not healthy right? it's like it's not good for you on any level you can't yeah. exercise you're sitting for three hours or, you know um, road rage you know exists because people just get so frustrated i think with you yeah. know sitting in a car for those length of time so so it was a fun thing for us to go through you know now i get to sound like a, you know i had some the foresight yeah, yeah exactly so I, one of the challenges with the whole thought behind work-life balance is that so the outcome so the outcome that you were seeking is not the outcome that people think about they think about it's work or play it's not health they're not understanding that this balance that you create the load of hey by 50 you're expected to have some kind of chronic disease where does that all come from it comes from your nutrition your environment your lifestyle and the latter two are tied to work right so we find that uh, when we speak to people about this whether it's c-suites or the actual individual that the first thought about this the, the term of what it's like no i don't i i'm i'm willing to work hard i don't need to play it's not only about play right sure. it's detached also from the play and just be yourself for a while and and understand what it takes for your body to recover and heal and be healthy and look like this when you're 62 yeah, you know <laughs> so yeah and this is where um when you move forward the companies that you're now working with and advising I'm guessing their ears are a lot more open to shifting how they even think about employee health. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think, you know, in fairness to some of the, you know, the companies of today, I mean, you know, the model was created for, you know, some of these these folks that are executives of C-suites. I mean, they, you know, they stepped into a model that already existed that probably wasn't open to a lot of changes. Well, now they're open to changes. I mean, you, right. you know, you're seeing, you know, banks and, you know, good on the banks, by the way, the leadership of the banks saying, you know, we're looking at hybrid models. I mean, it's, to me, it's a, it's a healthier model. You know, and by the way, like, I mean, the term, I, you know, I, I talk about in the book that I wrote, um, work-life balance. I mean, the term work-life balance to me isn't about, you know, works over here, and life is over here. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. about, you know, integrating them into, you know, into a way that is healthy. And we're seeing that in the sense of, you know, you got a lot of companies today that are providing, I hate to call them perks, but we'll call them perks for now. Perks where, you know, fitness is part of the, you know, the work experience, right. you know, um, eating well is part of the work experience, you know, um, companies, you know, doing things like bringing, you know, your business into their, into their organization where, you know, employees can, you know, can look at, you know, how can they op- optimize their, you know, their, their DNA um, uh, analysis to, you know, to help them perform better. And, 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 you know, doing all that, it's, you know, it's about creating some balance. It used to be, you know, when I was, I tell the story, when I was in my early days of my career with AMJ, I remember, um, you know, leaving the office one day around um, three o'clock and I was a vice president at the time. It was like my first or second year there. And one of the other VPs, she said to me as I was walking out the door in front of everybody, she said, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to get a haircut. <laughs> and she said, you get your haircut on company time? And I said, well, my hair grows on company time. I get a cut on company time. But the same applies to things like, you know, fitness. I mean, right. you know, I, I, um, again, I, we might call it cutting edge, but I put a, a fitness center in our, in our large building that we had you know, at AMJ back in the early days and made it part of, you know, our program. It was like, you know, if you wanted to go work out at lunch, 10 o'clock, whatever, just build it into your day. And, you know, we had a full-time trainer. They still do today have a, you know, a full-time trainer at that building. And to me, that's like work-life balance is when it, it kind of all comes together. And, you know, I took that a step farther to say that, you know, evenings and weekends shouldn't be all about work. I mean, that, that's yeah. one of the you know, sort of the pitfalls of the pandemic is, the lines of, you know, when do you turn it off 
um, have got so blurred now that mm-hmm. you know I think people get burned out because they're kind of on 24/7. And you know, back before it's popular, you know, three or four years ago, you know, we put a policy in place that said at our head office, no emails before 6 a.m., after 6 p.m., or on the weekends. And it was like um, that's awesome. Yeah, no, but it was like you know, people say to me, dude, you're going to go to business. I'm like. <laughs> Look, you know, we're we're moving people. We have a twenty four seven you know customer service line, but you know our accounting people, our administration people, you know our salespeople, they don't need to be on twenty four seven. And and you know, even myself, I'd put that you know that message would be a bounce back you'd get on my emails, and would say, look, if you're a customer and you need to reach me, call me on my cell phone. Right? Well, I mean, nobody ever calls my cell phone, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, except for my daughters. It's you yeah. know, so so I think you know a lot of the the principles that prevent work-life balance um, are you know, just based on the way we always did things. Yep, and I think what you're talking about in terms of, so the new reality is I know I work at home, so there's no boundaries between on and off. It just, I do it when it's, I walk by the laptop, I might do a few emails, kids go to sleep, I'm gonna go back to the laptop. And we're, what we're finding with that is it's leading to this endemic sleep issue. Sure. Right, because people, there's no clock anymore and so all that stimulatory and and this is where we look at things genetically to determine who copes better this this the you know blue light filter stressors the food stressors there's no particular schedule to meals anymore right uh then the uh, the stressors of you know when you when you're at at an office or you're at work or there's a time and you take that time off you come there's a there's another time here's kid time here's but you're in your office this is my zone right it's now a part of my home so you you don't have that escape there's you're not going anywhere sure. right and so we found that that's translating into a lot of sleep issues so people need to now learn how to work within that new reality i i work from home i'm a remote whatever it is there's some sort of guidelines that you have to develop to be able to do that and still be healthy right sure. and i look i think that's one of the you know the the areas that i'm you know most curious about when it comes to you know your business of you know dna study and epigenetics is taking a look at you know i i kind of built my um, you know, sort of my way of doing things based on, you know, what could I read and, you know, what would work and, and tweaking, trying things. But now I think, you know, what you're doing brings a whole new level to tweaking, right? So, right. you know, am I, um, you know, sleeping on the right sleep patterns? You know, um, am I shutting things down at the right time? You know, am I eating the right foods for, you know, my DNA makeup that can help my, you know, gut, um, you know, allow me to sleep better? So there's, you know, bringing the science to it, I think, is is super cool but you know on a very basic level it's like folks um you need to shut it down before you go yeah. to bed like i, mean, I talk to people like i can't sleep i said well you know what are you doing before you sleep well, like i'm cleaning up all my emails i said well that would um, pretty much do me in right <laughs> if i t- tried to do that and you know what's the first thing you do when you get up i'm, I'm looking at my emails yeah, you know, first thing. people you know they're not meditating yeah. and, you know i mean i learned how to meditate you know sort of the old-fashioned way 25 years ago you know doing guided meditations with an actual teacher today you know there's apps out there you know i right. personally like the, i use a calm app that you know i can do it like a 10 minute meditation i call it meditation for dummies where you know you don't need to learn anything you just need to listen to what's being said and follow it and you know 10 minutes of that to start your day to wind your day down can have a huge impact on how you sleep and you know and your energy levels and and what have you so you know i think it's like a lot of things the pendulum swings too far one way the pandemic i think has caused it to swing too far one way and it was probably too far that way by you know before the pandemic where people were just working you yeah. know kind of when you felt like sending an email send an email you know i'm a big advocate of saying look at you know if you want to work in the evenings because 
of your you know work situation where maybe you're spending some time with your children during the day or you're doing something else great just don't hit the send button hit the send later button right and send it for tomorrow morning so you know i get into the habit of sending my emails um you know if i'm writing in the evening or later in the day i'll, I'll hit send at 7 a.m tomorrow morning it's, it's 7 a.m is the best time to get an email in your inbox by the way to have somebody read it so just you know hit the send later button same thing on weekends like you know i tell the story you know i started my career a long time ago as a banker and you know in the early days of banking you know like the late 80s you know we didn't have email we didn't have cell phones you know barely had faxes nobody had them at home so if you and i were working working on something together at the bank and i needed to reach you after hours i'd have to pick up the phone and call you at your home phone at your home yeah <laughs> and i would think about it i'd be like you know yeah, what, you know, wonder what he's doing right now you know like i'd have to think about where's today it's like you know comes into your head hit your you know yeah. your handheld or your laptop and out goes an email and i used to be the worst at it i you know i'd get onto a plane flying out to you know calgary or somewhere in a different time zone and i'd pound off like you know 60 emails and i used to think it's because i was i'm a pilot right and yeah. i can't believe it's taking this long to tell you that but um uh, but I used to think it's because I'm a, I'm a pilot and I'm on a plane and it's like I can do these emails, you know, s- sitting there without any interruption. The reality was I was in an environment without distraction, right? And I talk about that in the book that, you know, if you can create that environment without it, without distraction, you just become far more productive. And so I'd land, get to a hotel, my laptop would cl- connect to the Wi-Fi and, and out would goes. go, yeah. you know, 60 emails without any regard for, you know, the people in Halifax who are getting my emails yeah. out having dinner. So I've, I've become much better at that. Yeah. There's, I mean, in that we've had some people argue that, okay, you're saying to do it like this, schedule like this and say no to this. And I heard this many times where, well, you're a C-suite executive. You control your time, right? You can do what you want. I can't. I'm, I'm a slave to the clock and I don't have time to work out. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. The opposite is also true. You're a C-suite executive, so the entire weight of the company is on your shoulders, right? And you can't be awake without thinking about it. So how do you talk to those people when you're talking to the frontline staff that are saying, well, I just, I don't have time to go to the gym. Sure. Yeah, look, I think that's where good leadership comes into play. So, you know, um, I applaud those companies that, that actually see the, you know, the working benefit, the you know, the production benefit, the performance benefit of providing their employees with, you know, healthy um, programs, whether it's, you know, fitness, I mean, you know, a lot of companies are doing yoga and, and, and other things during the workday, uh, you know, companies got put Pelotons in their, in their facilities, right. you know, doing those things, you know, selfishly as a, as a C-suite or an entrepreneur um, executive, you're actually increasing your performance for your employees, right? You're increasing your productivity. You're, you know, you're increasing the loyalty. You're, I mean, all of those factors that are super important to a company are, are happening. So, you know, if you're doing it for no other reason than selfish gain, do it, right? Uh, because if not, you know, especially in today's environment, young people, young talent have a choice. Well, even older talent that's, you know, with organizations, they have a choice now about where they can work. There's lots of companies that are offering mm-hmm. virtual work or, you know, hybrid style works. And, and I think you're going to see, you know, the sort of drain of people leaving traditional organizations that haven't got the foresight to, you know, to adapt and going to places where, you know, they can have a life and work at the same time, which is balance. I remember talking to a gentleman named John McDonald who advises TELUS on business strategy, right? And he said, here's what hiring looks like. You're in Toronto, right? Here's your office in Mississauga or wherever. And here's the bubble, right? Because in this bubble, you know the, the, the you know, commute 
makes sense. Sure. Well, what's changed is you have a global bubble now, right? So employers are now competing with literally every other employer in the same, for the same role. There's no borders anymore. So all of a sudden, what you have to offer in order to be enticing, this is where it's not so much a, a mass quitting. Yeah, within certain silos, th that person's still working. They're still doing something. They're just shifting, right? So it's a massive shift towards the people that understand the employees got so much more sort of clout at the negotiating table because their talent is now globally demanded and accessible. Sure. Right? And totally. And look, I mean, I, I think that, you know, on top of that, the pandemic has, you know, really shone a light on the importance of good health. Right? You know, I think a lot of people, you know, just seeing people get sick, die, I mean, you know, whatever your stance is on, on, you know, vaccination, whether you, you know, support it or don't, the fact is a lot of people got sick and died during, during COVID. And so I think it's, you know, it's created an awareness around, you know, people seeing that, you know, they, they, there's, there's benefits in staying healthy and boosting your immune system. And, you know, and mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff that you work on, uh, you know, shines a light on that as well. And so I think you're going to see going forward, um, a huge shift at a, pace that we would have never thought possible three years ago. I think, you know, it's just, it, it's moved, the pendulum has swung so fast in terms of, you know, the positive parts right. of stuff that come out of pandemic that there's now a huge thirst for people to, you know, to want to find ways to, employers especially find ways to, you know, to provide perks and healthy um, options for their employees. So with that, I know that you're, I mean, you've worked on a lot of boards, right? You've advised a lot of companies. And what you're describing is the pace of demand created by what people are experiencing, like the experiential leading them to that, right? Meanwhile, when it comes to health, that's one of the few industries where it's so regulated and there's so much red tape that even though you go in that direction, you may not be able to access the thing. And even though it becomes available to you, it may get squashed, you know, a month or two later. So how do you take this huge wave of attention that's going towards this thing and there's some consumer products that people want to spend out of pocket especially in a country like canada we're like well you're supposed to take care of me i pay my taxes so that i have free health care but your toolkit doesn't include the thing that actually works and i don't want to go back to that other toolkit so you know from your perspective of working on how do you get the government to adopt and say that we got to move quicker towards these things yeah i wish i had a simple answer to that <laughs> i mean you know i have a lot of good friends that are politicians and work in government. And, you know, the, the reality is that we have a broken system, in my opinion, when it comes to healthcare and a lot of other institutions, you know, that are governed by um, politicians. It just, you know, things are, things are broken. And our healthcare system, you know, some will say it's the best, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's one of the best in the world. And, and you know, in many ways, I think it is in, in, in the sense that we have some of the greatest practitioners, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in Canada that are, and, you know, in the healthcare field. The challenge is... Um, it's broken, and how do we fix it? I mean, I'm an optimist, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm an optimist. I just think, you know, good things will happen. One of the good things I think that's coming out of the pandemic is this whole movement towards virtual healthcare, right. right? That there's so much more you can do, you know, virtually, and I think that could be part of our solution. You know, you're seeing it, you know, during the pandemic, family docs had to work, you know, virtually with their patients, and I mean, look, I mean, I, I say the difference between a family doc when I was a young man and a family doc today um, is, is two things. So when I was a young man, if I went to see the doctor, uh, you know, at 18 years of age or 19 years of age, you know, I would go in and quite often it would be, you know, he um, sitting on the other side of a desk with a lab coat on, a stethoscope around his neck and barely would look at me mm -hmm. and, you know, and say, well, you know, here's what 
here's what you need to do and you know write a prescription or you know tell me something I got to do and I would leave today the, you know one of the big differences is that young people go into a doctor's office today one it's you know it's a good chance it's a she sitting across the lab coats are often gone you know there's no no more of this you know I'm the powerful one and the doctor knows that this young person has probably you know googled whatever their you know their issue is and knows almost as much about it right. as they do and so there's a conversation that takes place yeah. that's a huge shift that's a conversation that takes place so take that and add it to an environment today where it's where there's virtual you know it's not like um, you know somebody sitting on the other end of the of the virtual call the patient with no knowledge of what's going on with them you know mm -hmm. they they have access to you know to to google and to research to find out so there's actually you know a better conversation happening today for all sorts of reasons so i think with you know virtual healthcare in a lot of areas it could take the burden off of our healthcare system uh, you know i think that you've seen a lot of companies move towards providing virtual healthcare privately to their you know to their employees as a perk and so look the optimistic side of me says I think we'll get there right. eventually. And then, you know, to answer your, you know, the first part of your question, I think there, you know, people have choices, right? I mean, you know, I'm, I don't know that I'm a huge fan of two-tier healthcare. I think I'm a huge fan of having options in terms of, you know, levels of, of healthcare. You know, there are those people that unfortunately don't take a huge interest in their, in their health. They just, you know, they could, but they don't. Then there's those of us that do. And, you know, to be able to, you know, to access things like, you know, getting your DNA mm -hmm. analyzed and, you know, getting epigenetic reports that tell you what are the things you can do that you, you can talk about for hours to improve your state of health. Um, then, you know, buying that versus, you know, buying, you know, a piece of clothing or some other right. article, yeah, yeah. it becomes more of a priority than it might have been 10 years ago, yeah. maybe, if that makes sense. Yeah, maybe you don't have, uh, you know, the best uh, fitness routine, but you're guaranteed to have the newest iPhone. Exactly, right. exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, so if you, you know, now that people see the, you know, the heightened importance of your health and the fact that you can actually do things, you know, one of the things that technology and information has helped us to understand is that, there, you know, you can have an impact on, yeah. on your health. I mean, you know, you and I have had this conversation before where, you know, I sort of thought, um, you know, my genes were my genes and I was stuck with them. You know, I remember, um, you know, years ago, like, Five, six years ago, Monsoor did uh, right. you know, the genetics for, you know, for my family. And he said to my daughters, well, you got some of your dad's bad genes, right? And my daughters are like, well, that sucks um, <laughs> having bad genes. But he was quick to say, look, there are things you can do. Right. You know, like maybe your genetic um, makeup predisposes you to cardiac issues. Well, it doesn't mean that you're stuck with that. I mean, I'm, I'm talking for you now, but that, you know, yep. I learned that there's things I could do to, you know, to change that outcome. And, and I think, you know, the public are seeing that more and more, uh, you know, some of it's flaky, some of it's real, but more and more that there are things that they can acquire that can yeah. have an impact on their health and wellness. I think what you're talking about, so the core, the hub where all this problem comes from that we're talking, when you talk about a broken healthcare system, and then the solution where you start to talk about how you can actually work on the problem you identify, it's a difference between acute care, like I broke my sure. arm, or I have a terminal condition and I need to go to the doctor versus chronic disease. And the problem is that this same toolkit, which we do so well at, right? We do, sure. so, we do the best we've ever done, any civilization has ever done. This is how we deal with this, right? And so even when you look at your genetics and you hear, you know, uh, you have bad genes, that sounds like a diagnosis. 
Sure. Right. When it's really the starting point to say you're suboptimal here. Sure. And it could be in anything, gut microbiome, a blood marker. If I have a high cholesterol number in my blood, doesn't mean necessarily cholesterol problem. Let's start to figure out why. Right. What are your options? What are your, sorry, habits that are the load? And then going back to the telemedicine, it reminds me of the exact same thing, because when you when you think about, yes, when COVID hit, all of a sudden te telemedicine was a covered benefit. Right. OHIP. Uh, CDC, like uh, most insurers in the U.S. started paying for it, which it was shunned upon previously, right? You can't examine properly if the person's not in front of you, right? So, but again, you're, you're, you're taking the same modality, the same process, and just shifting the context. All you're saying is you can sit there instead of here, sure. right? So, but the good news is the technology sort of comes in. The other technologies shift the way that the work is done. It's like, I no longer need to see you when I have a pain point. You need to coach me in between, right? What's happening for the six months when I don't see you? The behavioral change of eat this way, exercise this way, et cetera. That's how you deal with chronic disease. You know, so coming back to your daughter's example of she would have had to do something, sure. you know, in between that time to make sure she doesn't get that problem. And right? I, th I think that's, you know, that's probably one of the shifts in mindset that, you know, has happened you know, a lot for sure in the last two years because people are far more active in their healthcare, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the virtual calls with their with their family docs or with, you know, health issues they have, I think were probably more meaningful in some ways than, you know, sitting in office waiting for an hour and, and, and what have you. Uh, so I think when you can, when you can get the general public um, keenly aware of things that they can do to, you know, improve their prognosis or, you know, their state of health, it's it's a good thing and that's one of the things that you know that most attracts me to your business is that you know i mean it used to be you know 10 15 years ago when you know genetics testing uh, dna testing was first coming out that people were like oh, i'm not doing that because i don't want to know mm -hmm. you know i just i just don't want to know that i may you know have cancer i may have heart disease you know why would you want to know that you know i kind of got that in the early days and then as it evolved into something well you know, this whole field of epigenetics that I can actually do something can do so, to yeah. impact that and change the potential outcome. Well, then it becomes real interesting for me because, yeah. you know, because now I get a, an insight into, you know, a potential flaw mm -hmm. well before it becomes, you know, fatal and I can actually change it. So, I, I mean, that principle in general, when applied to all areas of healthcare, which I think is starting to happen more, yeah. gives you, you know, you're talking about, you know, how do we go from treating disease when it happens to preventing disease, right? Proactive, and I think that's the shift that uh, you know I'd like to think. Yeah, and, and we're seeing it now because, so the U.S. obviously has a very different, you know, we we take for granted what we have, and we say that their different model sucks. That's the claim. But what's happened is because the burden shifted to the employers, right? You pay for healthcare, so take care of them. They're incentivized in a different way, sure. right? The, the, just like when you're running your business, you shut the office down. Like I don't need this office, right? They think the same thing. Well, I need this person not only uh, present, but I need them productive, and I also need them to stay, which means I need them happy, sure. right? And happiness is partly their responsibility to give them what you know gives what makes them happy. So, all of a sudden, things like digital therapeutics, like apps that are therapy, sure, right? Diabetes. Do you want to take insulin, or do you want to be taught how to reverse the disease? You have companies like Lavongo that comes along, gets bought by Teladoc for $18 billion, sure. right? Which uh, it's, I think at the time they had four or 500,000 patients out of the 30 something million diabetics in the US and the 88 million pre-diabetics and they got bought for $18 billion because 
you're, it's known. Warren Buffett, you know, uh, what's his name? Bezos. What's sure. his name? <laughs> yeah, what's his name? <laughs> Diamond. Uh, they came together and they said, this is actually Warren Buffett that actually said that healthcare costs are the single biggest burden on American business. So they came together to solve it and they failed because they used the same toolkit and tried sure. to work around it. So all of a sudden you're seeing employers paying for this stuff that the insurance company won't pay for that isn't available at the you know primary care. And it's shifting and allowing these healthcare innovators to build things. And you're seeing so much of it. To, so eventually we're going to get this wave start to, you know, get into countries like Canada where there's a single payer that's responsible for everything. There's a system that works. We're not going to touch it. Right. Uh, but we're seeing the wave. And this is where we've been engaged with some of these companies that, you know, it's one thing to say better science. Right. Let's understand uh, the epigenetics, like you're saying. But how do you deploy it? And the behavior change seems to be the key, meaning how do I actually get someone to work with me for months at a time, go from where you're at in terms of in the disease state or on the tipping point and not wait to treat it, but get rid of it. Like that's, you don't need to be sick if it's chronic disease, sure. right? So going back to the epigenetics, that this is the tipping point now where we're, we're now, whether it's us or any other genetic testing company, we're finally at a point where that stuff is actionable, right? Before it wasn't understood well enough before it was DNA can only inform genetic conditions, right? If you have a, DNA, a particular gene that turns something on that causes some disease, that's what genetics did. Because this other layer of epigenetics isn't resolved with the pill. It's resolved with behavioral change. Lifestyle right? changes. Yeah, you're doing, and that's not a prescription, right? That's coaching, that's in between. So this is where you're seeing that all is culminating because you all of a sudden have the science that's pointing to, here's the epigenetics, here's what you need to do about it, lifestyle, environment, nutrition, and here's the behavioral change tech companies that are coming along that just need this content, right, to make powerful technology, like powerful solutions. And so we're getting there. It's all coming together. And funny enough, the healthcare system that we've been making fun of globally is doing it first. Sure. Right? I mean, out of necessity, but I look, yeah. I, I think, you know, the, it's, it's a bit of a perfect storm. So, you know, between uh, public awareness, you know, growing at like astronomical rates over the last you know, three to four years around, you know, this whole area of health and wellness um, and, you know, tech companies coming out with, you know, I mean, wearables. I mean, um, yeah. you know, I'm, I wasn't the biggest fan of wearables originally just because I was like, you know, we monitor so many things, but, you know, wearables and, and, and all of these other, um, you know, options that are out there that are quite affordable, you know, even on your iPhone, create a, a level of awareness around things you can do to impact your health that we didn't think before and significantly impact your health, right? So, you know, that area has made a huge change. I think uh, awareness in general around, you know, how unhealthy some of our food supplies are mm -hmm. has become much more heightened. You know, mm -hmm. when I was a kid, you know, um, the categories of food we were allowed to eat, we just we just assumed because, you know, the schools told us this is what we should eat, that they were healthy. Well, today, um, you know, they've had a lot to do with, you know, with making people very sick. So I think, you know, the perfect storm is people are starting to be far more conscious about what they eat. They're starting to become, you know, far more conscious about some of the lifestyle decisions they're making. Hence, you, you get this um, exodus of young people saying, I don't want to work, mm -hmm. um, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours uh, a week in an unhealthy environment. I'm going to, you know, make some choices. Maybe I got to sacrifice, you know, a quicker promotion for that. I don't think that's the case, by the way. But all of this coming together, you know, along with um, you know, the ability to, to have more involvement in your, you know, your own personal health journey. It's going to put us in a different place. 
I don't think 30 or 40 years down the, the line. I think you know over the next five to 10 years, we're going to see a shift. A lot of things have shifted much quicker than we would have traditionally thought things would shift, right? So you know, I grew up in an era where you know a shift took place over 20, 30 years. I think shifts today take place you know in periods of two to five mm-hmm. years, and I think the pandemic has proven that in a lot of areas that you know things can happen quickly. If people put their focused attention on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we, you know, if we had the same sort of attention. Now I'm getting off on a tangent, but you know, same sort of attention applied to you know other areas of research in healthcare that we've had to creating a a, a vaccine in a quick period of time. Can you imagine yeah. you know the impact that would have? Exactly. We 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 talked about that with somebody at a conference a few weeks ago, where they were saying, okay, the world came together, this concerted global effort, for the first time ever, did something so efficiently in terms of the scale of what sure. was done, right? Sure. And so effectively, uh, why do we still have 18 million people a year dying from cardiovascular disease, which is preventable? Sure. Right? Why do we have women who, 64% of women, by the way, that get a cardiovascular disease are expected to die on the first case? It's much more prevalent in women in terms of the intensity and no previous symptoms, no warning sign. They don't even know it's coming. Right? 64% of women that get any kind of cardiovascular issue, gone, unfortunately. So why aren't we working on that? So it's that we know we can do it. We just did it, right? It's just, there's, there's other problems that need to be solved a different way. So there's some talk around now that we have mRNA technology that perhaps it can be used for other stuff. And I know that, uh, I don't know if it was Pfizer or Moderna I was talking about, they're using actually the same technology to now target very specific cancers. Sure. Right, now that they've sort of tested it, it's working on certain things. Um, so we will see this shift in Goldman Sachs, came out with a report saying that the genetic therapeutics industry is expected to be 4.8 trillion by 2030. So the entire American healthcare industry is 4 trillion, right? So they're saying this thing that just came about, and so we might see, like you said, we're, you know, we're, not, we're less than a decade away from potentially seeing an entire different way of looking at disease because of genetic therapeutics, right? And, and look, I, mean, I, I, I don't think, well, I know that none of us I shouldn't say that. Some people expected to have a pandemic. I think, generally speaking, you know, most 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 of the public did not anticipate that we were going to get a pandemic, and and certainly not one that's lasted as long as it's lasted, yeah. and you know, will continue to last for a while. And so, you know, as we come out of that, you know, my hope is that, to your very point, we see you know more um, leaders focus on bringing together these collective. Uh, the collective brain power in all sorts of areas and focus it in on, you know, uh, world health problems and, and other world problems and, you know, solve them. And we've proven, you know, how quickly we can solve them, you know, in, in a situation like this. Has it been perfect? No. I mean, it's, it's a pandemic. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, how could it be perfect? And, and, you know, I respect other people's opinions, but, but I think science has done a remarkable job. I think, you know, for the most part, you know, world leadership has done a remarkable job of, you know, putting aside politics for the most part and focusing yeah. in on, you know, how can we solve this, you know, this worldwide uh, problem. And, you know, let's be thankful that it wasn't, you know, Ebola, you know, or something incredibly deadly, yeah. you know, kind of, because I think sadly, it's probably not going to be the last pandemic that, you know, we see in our lifetime. Yeah, I think there's, I think it's said that there's like one and a half million animal viruses that haven't crossed over into human populations yet. We now have the thawing of the tundra and things coming up that we don't even know exist. Yeah. They're finding uh, viral and bacterial strains in the ice that are millions, if not billions of years old that have been totally preserved popping up. So who knows what the future holds, but what we do know, so to that point, 
treating every virus as a new you know situation or a new solution required versus the innate health and what does any virus do right so yes one spreads faster one has a longer incubation period uh you know one is more deadly than the other so they have different attributes but we understand what the virus does to the body the inflammatory load why are people in the icu covid is not what they're being treated for in the icu it's a respiratory inflammation and cardiac inflammation sure. covid is a trigger that pushes a very aggressive trigger that pushes them over the edge so it goes right back to if you're healthy right that resilience right that's what you need to whatever for whatever's coming and like you said it's coming something else is coming we don't know what or when it's coming innate health is what's going to because when the next one comes it's another two years for the next vaccine right what are you going to do for those first two years if you're not healthy and you know I, i think sadly you know it's not a popular thing to talk about the fact that you know people um who were not healthy you know were more susceptible to you know to getting seriously ill and or dying with covid you know and yes healthy people died as well but but i you know i think covid has shown us that that being resilient and being healthy and you know having a strong immune system and you know having a healthy lifestyle you know fitness wellness all of these things um gave people you know a much better chance of uh you know withstanding or or you know fighting it off so you know again that's not a popular thing to say but it's you know it's it's a reality and hopefully you know going forward people will see you know the importance of paying yeah. attention to their health and not relying on you know public health care to you know to necessarily provide them with that roadmap of what it should look like because because i don't think we're going to see that anytime soon yeah but I, i think you know with technology uh people you know have more access to to knowledge than we ever did before yeah. i think you're relying on that as a plan b like you're back you know that you have that to fall back on if you slip up but the question is what are you doing to not slip up right what are you doing to take care of yourself and i would even ask you like you know a, under the radar biohacker would you don't call yourself that but you've been doing it what are some of the things you're doing that people may not be familiar with that you think they should should you know try out yeah so i i i i obviously get asked that question a lot because it's an area that i you know have a keen interest in and for me i think you know some of the priorities were you know as a young man um trying never to you know to stop a healthy fitness regime right so mm-hmm. you know we know that you know being fit and uh, in shape and maintaining that uh, has a lot to do with you know how you fight disease and 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 how you perform by the way i think people that are fit uh, perform by and large at a at a higher level than people that aren't uh you know healthy lifestyle habits when it comes to you know how do you eat i mean sleep i get teased about you know my my sleep regime but you know i when we when we opened our clinic 20 20 years ago um you know one of our pillars was helping people to sleep better you know so i became a student right. of you know what are the things you could sleep well creating a healthy pre-sleep routine you know whether it's a hot bath uh you know in my case you know cold environment you know blackout blinds right. you know spraying my pillow with lavender uh you know shutting things down uh, you know an hour before you go to bed those things don't happen overnight but when you start to do those make them a part of your lifestyle you know after 2 months um of working and focusing on you know better sleep patterns you know better eating patterns you know managing your stress better i mean we you know we knew when we when we opened our clinic initially that uh, you know, we were about high performance that it wasn't just about treating disease yes that was you know part of of our offering but a, you know a big part of our offering what were these other pillars you know are you sleeping the way you should do you have the vitality that you, that you mm-hmm. think you should are you managing stress i mean you know you know that um you know stress has a huge impact on you know on your overall health and so you know whether it's meditation whether it's you know 
learning to shut things down, you know, um, having, you know, some of this balance in terms of, you know, weekends off and what have you, it has a huge impact on, I think your ability to perform at a high level. So for me, it's, you know, it's, it's always been driven by, you know, wanting to be a high performer, but, and look at, you know, I tell people, look, don't be like me. I'm a bit of a, a, <laughs> fanat- a fanatic at it. It's like, you know, just this, you can be balanced. You don't have to be, um, you know, super into this. You just look for ways, you know, in the area of fitness, in the area of eating, in the area of, um, of uh, you know, stress management, um, where you can impact your health and not just rely on, you know, a doctor and, you know, nothing against doctors, but, you know, that's their role isn't necessarily to, in our system anyway, to help you, um, you know, live the healthiest lifestyle. It, you know, most of them are about treating right. your health conditions. And so, you know, p- the more people get involved in that and take ownership of it and, you know, make it a priority in their lives, the better. And, you know, for me, that's what I've done. I mean, I'm, you know, perfect. No, just, you know, ask, you know, people that know me well. Of course, I, you know, I might drink a little more red wine than I should. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's not, it's not about being perfect, but it's about developing a healthy lifestyle that, you know, is sustainable, right? So I travel a lot, so I know there's certain things I can't do, you know, that I could if I was, you know, at home all the time. So, you know, I do the best I can. And, um, you know, that sense of curiosity I have around it, you know, has, has done a lot to fuel it. Yeah, I think the, the curiosity is what leads you sort of the beyond the comfort zone, right? Sure. You test and toy with things, and all of a sudden, whatever you did yesterday is a lot more comfortable because it's no, not, no longer lo- novel. As an example, I recently saw a picture of you uh, sitting in a bucket full of ice. Oh, yeah. I should say a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so things like that that people would never think are therapeutic or don't even want to try. But, I mean, what was that all about? Well, so, I, you know, I, I started to see, you know, guys like Wim Hof, you know, teaching, um, you know, ice therapy right. and plunging. And, you know, they were doing tests on him. They couldn't make this guy sick. I mean, his immune system was so strong that, you know, they could inject him with just about anything. He wasn't getting sick. Well, I tried his extreme ice b- bathing. and It was like, I couldn't do it. It was like, it was so painful that, you know, the first four or five times I tried, I couldn't. So, you know, so for me, what did work was, um, you know, cold showers, um, a, a different type of ice bath where, you know, instead of having, you know, 70% ice and 30% water, you know, I went 50-50 or you know, 30 ice and 70% water and would soak in it for 20 minutes. And I could see the benefits, right? So inflammation, you know, it's, it's, it, it has a huge impact on inflammation. So if you're working out and you're sore afterwards, it works well. You know, my, um, you know, resting heart rate dropped, you know, almost 10 beats over the course of six months of doing cold showers and ice baths, and, you know, blood pressure dropped. So it, I mean, there's a lot of health benefits to that. I mean, you know, be cautious, make sure that, you know, yeah. that, you know you're, you're not... I mean, I was a pretty healthy guy when I started jumping into ice tubs. So, you know, I'm not sure that you should start with jumping in an ice tub. But, you know, Wim Hof would say, for example, you know, start with like going into a shower, you know, put on hot for 10 seconds, and put on cold off, for 10 yeah. seconds, and, you know, and do that for, you know, four or five minutes in a shower to adjust to it. You know, and now I get in the shower, you know, after doing it for two or three years, and I just, it's like full on cold. And, you know, okay. I, I, I live in a property that has a well. So the, <laughs> this morning we had snow out where I live, and it's, you know, the water was cold coming out of there. It can be a bit of a shocker. You know, coming out, I, I, I do a sauna most mornings, you know, coming from the sauna into the cold shower. But it's good for boosting your immune system. So, wow. you know, I, I, like, I, I, you know, I don't try everything, but I, you know, I, I, I do try hacks and if it worked for me and I noticed a difference great I and mean, there's lots of things I've tried this yeah I'm not doing that again so what do you think if we had to tell people three hacks the easiest to do that you got to do what would you tell somebody who's starting tomorrow I would say you know focus on 
on developing some sort of sustainable fitness program because that's you know I think that's one of the key things you know so it doesn't have to be you know going to the gym five times a week it could be going out for a walk you know three times a week you know with your spouse with your partner something just you know getting out and doing something active I would say um, you know focus on your sleep most of us don't focus on on our sleep so you know some great books out there that you can read there's some great resources I mean you've got some great you know information that they could um, you know they could do a study you know with you on on their sleep patterns but work on on sleep and and it, you know sleep by the way doesn't happen you know if it, a lot of people the percentage is probably you know well over 70 percent of people that don't have good mm-hmm. sleep it's like start small um, you know make little changes mm-hmm. right so if you, you know if you're you going to bed way too late um, you know back it up half an hour you know month one back it up a half an hour more mm-hmm. month two just make these small changes and you know because unless you take a sleeping pill you're not going to change your sleeping habits overnight but and the same with fitness and then you know to me the third thing would be um you're you're you know what are you eating i mean you mm-hmm. know eat more consciously you know try to eat uh, you know more green foods you know try to eat for me you know less meats i still love meat but you know i try to i try to i can't do a full vegan i did vegan for like a year <laughs> and a half and you know it was it was certainly healthy but my joy factor went way down i just wasn't happy yeah, yeah. you know only eating veggies and i travel a lot and it was like a, it just wasn't fun so now i try to you know like 60 70 percent vegan so you know veggie and then you know 30 40 percent alternating between you know fish and beef and again i'm not an expert in those areas but it, it, for me it's, it's it's always been about sustainability right, right. Like, you know don't go on a diet that you know that isn't sustainable you know maybe you go on it to get to where you want to be but understand that it's not sustainable you know don't go on a fitness program that's not sustainable do things that are sustainable for your lifestyle yeah and if people follow so your your example it speaks to it you 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 adopt something you try it it starts to become a habit and then it becomes imprinted as your daily routine so you test and try and kind of build that stack of here's my health routine and eventually that concern of i don't have time for this goes away because well, it's second nature and, and look at it i mean you talk about stacking like you know one feeds the other so yeah. you know if you've if you've gone from an unhealthy lifestyle to incorporating some fitness and eating a little better and you start to notice changes i guarantee you that it's going to fuel that sense of curiosity or that passion around you know wanting to do even more so you right. know you see people you know that they lost 100 pounds well they didn't lose 100 pounds for the most part in three months they lost 100 pounds over the course of a year but they've developed a lifestyle that's sustainable mm-hmm. and they and you know and then they get more curious about you know what else can I do and you know and and it just feeds that you know that passion towards having a, a healthy lifestyle you know I'm reading a book now that you and I talked about earlier that you know talks about the fact that you know we may well see you know um, people in 50 years living to 130 140 years of age mm-hmm. you know sounds unbelievable today but you know if if that's the case and you know that's your goal to you know to live longer which is mine you know i want to live longer but i want to live a you know healthy meaningful productive life you know i don't want to be sick right Um, and so you know anything i can do earlier in my progress which i like to think i've been doing um you know will will bring me closer to that goal that's awesome so you remind me of on the you know final note where dr bj fogg who wrote the book tiny habits and he talks about how you're saying like sustainability you know stack it get there in pieces and then build um you know he talks about the goal is identity change meaning that the the habits aren't the it's it's you have to shift your belief in what you actually do and who you are and the tiny habits will get you there meaning that i sleep at 11 o'clock when somebody asks you what time you sleep for the person who's trying to change their sleep they'll still tell you the late time 
Sure. Because they believe that's what they do, and I'm working on it, right? But the, once they start to say, no, I sleep at 11. Yeah. So work towards that identity change and know that that gap in the middle is you getting there, right? And those steps of like, I'm not there, I'm, I'm, but I'll get there. If that's the goal, it's so much easier to get there as opposed to focusing on the habit or the problem itself. Yeah, and right? look, most of us that have unhealthy um, habits, they didn't happen overnight. They happen over a long period of time. Yeah. So, you know, to expect them to change instantaneously is, you know, yeah. just not, not reasonable. So, you know, take little steps. You know, we talked about it in the book, not to promote the book, but the book talks a lot, you know, like 1%. Make those 1% changes. Well, you know, 1% over 12, over 12 months is 12%, right? Just, you know, 1% over, you know, 24 months is, is 24%. For sure. And you get there and, you know, when you do it in a sustainable way, it does, you're not going to slip backwards. I mean, look, we slip a little bit. Uh, you know, yeah. from time to time, but it's ingrained, as you said, you know, it's in, it becomes ingrained in who you are yeah. and, you know, changes your, your makeup. For sure. Well, Bruce, this was awesome. I mean, I, I could feel like, it feels like we've been talking for five minutes, but I think it's been an hour. You've right. gone forever. You know, uh, your perspective is something that people don't get to hear often. You know, we talk to clinicians, we talk to patients, we don't have to get to often get to talk to sort of the high achievement entrepreneur, high you know, optimized person that can bring back, oh, I, I've actually done this, right? It, it works, I can do it. So thank you for coming. Uh, I would recommend in terms of if people want to understand more about how you think and, you know, how to, you know, follow your path, uh, we'll put your book in the show notes so people can access it. So anybody wanted to know and read more about what you're saying, they can just go in there and take a look for the book. Thank you again for attending. This was awesome. And yeah, my pleasure. Happy to share. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Thanks, Bruce.